DW Africa Link Mixed reactions arrive in Nigeria this hour as the Supreme Court upholds President Tinubu's election win. But here in Bonn, Germany, we are ready to bring you the latest on DW's Africa Link. Hello and a very warm welcome. My name is George Okachi. And I am Josie Mahachi. This show is coming to you straight from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. Live on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and through all our partner stations across Africa. Now, here is what's coming up. Nigeria's Supreme Court has delivered final judgment on Tinubu's election today. And this is what some Nigerians had to say. It's time to start governance and no distractions. He should stop all this ASU strike so that students can graduate in peace. He should carry on with the, the good works he has started. And still on Nigeria, the Katsina state in the northern part of the country is first to make vigilante groups officially to try and curb insecurity. When you look at the annals of the state, and the insecurity bedeviling this state and indeed northwest can be mitigated through this type of arrangement. Stay tuned for the details after the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. A member of Israel's war cabinet says Israel will make its own decisions based on its own interests over its war plans in Gaza. The comments by Benny Gantz come amid recent reports that Israel had bowed to U.S. pressure to delay its planned ground attacks. Israel has continued its ground offensive into Gaza, targeting Hamas militant positions. Zimbabwe has officially received a new parliament building constructed and fully funded by China as a gift to the Southern African country. DW's a privileged Mushaniri in Harare with more. Built at a cost of 200 million, the building will house 400 lower and 150 upper house members of parliament. Speaking at the building's official handover on Thursday, Zimbabwe's President Emerson Munangagwa said the project is a symbol of the country's growing friendship with the Asian giant. China is spreading its prestige and soft diplomacy through infrastructure projects across Africa. It has so far built or refurbished parliaments in 15 African countries, including the Republic of Congo, Liberia, Mozambique, and the African Union headquarters in Ethiopia. Privilege Mushaniri reporting. Nigeria's Supreme Court has confirmed that President Bola Tinubu won February's elections, rejecting an appeal by opposition candidates. They had argued that the vote was flawed and that the president had forged his academic credentials. President Tinubu took office in May, promising reforms to stimulate growth in the largest uh, Africa's largest economy. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. The eagerly awaited Sudan peace talks have resumed in Saudi Arabia. Present at the talks are representatives of the Sudan Armed Forces and Parliamentary Rapid Support Forces, as well as the African Union and the East African Regional Bloc, IGAD. The conflict has left thousands of people dead and many more homeless. This is how Abdel Ahmed Osman, an expert in Sudan's military and political issues, describes the peace talks. 
This is very symbolic, enhancing political relations, finding a peaceful solution for this horrific war. We can see a peaceful scenario for a solution to this horrific war in Sudan. Tens of thousands of people in southwestern Pakistan have protested against new passport rules for cross-border traffic to Afghanistan. The Interior Minister has warned that people found in the country without authorization starting next Wednesday will be deported. This could reportedly affect around 1.7 million Afghans in Pakistan. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyinge. Thanks, Nyinge, and for all of you for sticking around with us on the program. This is DW's Africa Link. I am Josie Mahachi. And Josie Mahachi is with me, George Okachi. Welcome to all our listeners on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Remember to connect on the stories that we are covering. Just comment and Josie and myself will be glad to read your comments along the show. Now, shall we begin, Josie? And Nigeria's Supreme Court has upheld President Bola Ahmed Tinubu's elections win, ending a legal challenge brought by his two main rivals who argued that his victory was marred by irregularities. Now, the judgment by seven Supreme Court judges, which is final, follows a pattern seen in previous presidential elections that have been challenged in court and none of their attempts overturned the results. Now, what's left for the petitioners and Nigerians was the first question I posed to our correspondent in Abuja, Ben Shemang. Well, you see, for the petitioner, theirs is to go the ways the Nigeria will say, God, they. In other words, you can no longer take any appeal to anywhere, so they have nowhere to go except to lick their wounds, how much they spend on all of this. For the Nigerians, yes. Uh, it's now left for them to begin to hold the government accountable for their actions. Give us the very reasons why we voted you in. Now, Ben, what were some of the reasons the Supreme Court gave? The appeal court is simply saying that Peter Obi of the Labour Party and Atiku Abubakar of the People's Democratic Party brought in some of their fresh evidences very late. Apart from that, the Supreme Court was simply relying on what the earlier gave at the election tribunal. For that reason, they would not give any other room. Atiku was also saying that he had uh, uh, evidence that uh, the certificates Tenubu presented were fake and all that. Then the Supreme Court is also saying even what Atiku presented was never authenticated by either a high commission or that there was no seal of any court in America to make it sound very, very official. And apart from that, they said, look, what you call the... Uh, INEC, that is Independent Electoral Commission Result Viewing Center, RF, that it was just another substituted means of uh, election collation and not that it was the only one. And why does it seem like the court cases have dragged so long, Ben? It has taken so long for this judgment to be given by the Supreme Court. Exactly. It's, it has to go in line with what we call um, uh, provisions by the Electoral Act and the Nigerian Constitution. It allows for a very long time for those who feel um, skimmed out to approach the court. And the courts are always in grades. So you start from the electoral election petition 
constitution uh, body. If you are not satisfied, you move to court of appeal. If you are not satisfied, you move to uh, Supreme Court, and Supreme Court is final. Whatever it says, whether you like it or not, it stands. Now the judgment has been delivered. Ben, what have Nigerians been saying concerning this new development? Well, uh, some people are simply say we expected it, we saw it. After all, there hasn't been any presidential election that has been obtained by the Supreme Court at all. There hasn't been any. So just listen to what they are saying. I don't expect anything different. The evidence is presented by the the appellant, Atiku and Obi. They lack some fundamental, even as a layman, some things that ought to have been presented in court were not presented. And now that the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of Tinevo, it's time to get cracking, start governance and no distractions aside. What me, I think Tinevo should do for us is, number one, he should stop all this ASU strike and stuff so that students incoming and outgoing can graduate in peace. I think since he has been made the president already, he should carry on with the, the good works he has started. He should focus more on the security state of the nation. When you look deeply, you realize that it is because farmers are not being allowed to work on the farms. So food is not enough. That is why prices of food items are going higher and higher every day in the market. When you are hungry, you will be angry. Now, Ben, before I let you go, has there been any comment so far from Atiku or Peter Obi on this judgment? No, there hasn't been any at all. As expected, it's, uh, it's, it's so quiet, the quiet of a graveyard. Of some people are feeling, uh, what is there to jubilate? What is there to talk about? Okay, that is a new development in Nigeria. Speaking there to our correspondent, Ben Shemang. And straight to your comments, we have a live comment here. Josie Lambie uh, Dubo Etia, you're saying same people, same mannerism, and you expect different results. Live Tinibu alone. And Mark Uche says it's a complete setback for all Nigerians that we don't love our country and don't want to move forward. Thank you so much for those comments. Keep them coming on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We stay in Nigeria, but shift the focus on the inability of conventional security forces over a decade now to curve insecurity affecting the northern part of the country. This has forced many states of the region to deploy the strategy of a community-driven approach towards addressing the challenge. Now, Katsina State has become the first state to officially and by law inaugurate 2,400 young people selected across the state as community watch cops. Our correspondent, Shehu Salmanu, brings us the details. About 2,400 agile youths, roaring, set and eager to head to the bush and complementing the efforts of the conventional security agencies to end armed banditry and kidnapping in the conflicting areas. Northwestern Nigeria bleeds as bandits intensify attacks on innocent citizens, disturbing social and economic activities. This has forced governors in the region to establish state-owned security formations. Katana State takes the lead, says Duko Umarada, the state's governor. As 22 out of 34 local government areas face severe security challenges, security has been the topmost priority of the administration and we have invested vast resources to ensure sustainability in our fight against banditry. People have been degenerated to poor living conditions, immense psychological trauma and a complete demolition of socio-economic development of our country. The formation of community watch corps 
aim to mitigate crime by direct involvement of community in the fight. Johnny Benda is a retired general in the Nigerian army, spearheaded the training of the cops. When you look at the annals of the state and the insecurity between this state and indeed Northwest can be mitigated through this type of arrangement as it is done in other climes. The trainees, they have undergone training in weapons handling and civil-military relations. The establishment of community outfits is very necessary as conventional forces failed, says Dr. Huza Gizu, a security expert and analyst. The creation of the uh, community watch is the fact that uh, they are the child of uh, necessity. The conventional system that we have, uh, that is the military, the DSS, the police, and all other formal organized structures of the security system architecture that we have, failed to deliver. Um, as a result of that, the state is now coming with a new vision and a new strategy. The governors of the northwestern Nigeria have unanimously agreed to take community-based measures in fighting insecurity. And that is our very own Sheikh Selman. And of course, insecurity is a major hurdle that uh, President Bola Ahmed Tinibu will have to handle. And talk about the president. That is our top story. Nigeria Supreme Court has upheld his election victory. Mm. And reactions still streaming in thick and fast, Josie? Yes, I see one live one here from Nwike Chukuma who says today's decision determines tomorrow. Time shall tell. And we have Victor King, you say it is a great win for Atiku Abubakar, that is the opposition leader. He just got what he needed to fight to the uh, to the end. The highest court has asserted, or rather attested to its uh, to his evidence that they are the truth but lacks jurisdictional power for it. And Taklovi says, did they expect the Supreme Court to destabilize the country by saying Tinubu didn't win after being in the office all this while? It's but obvious the case had to be dismissed. Anslem Omadike, you asking a question, but did he indeed forge his certificate? Then uh, this is the bitter pill and international embarrassment burden we would have to carry for the next four years. Mm, and Wumpi family says, I don't understand politicians. How on earth can they sworn, swear in someone as president and you waste your time and resources to go to the court? There's no way such of a thing can be overturned. They are partners in crimes, both the judiciary and the ones who's being sworn in. And the last one from Difre Odiet, you say, we thank God that my eyes were somewhere else instead of being on the judiciary. I hate wasting my effort and of course keep your comments coming because this is Africa Link. Indeed, thanks for sticking with us. And in case you just joined the show, this is Africa Link and my name is Jojo Kachi. And mine is Josie Mahachi. Our Facebook page is DW Africa. We are live there. We also appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent. Speaking of Facebook, kindly rush there and let's converge for a conversation. Remember to comment and share the live stream.
And just a reminder of our top story, Josie, Nigeria's Supreme Court has upheld President Bola Ahmed Tinubu's elections win, bringing to an end a legal challenge brought by his two main rivals who argued that his victory was marred by irregularities. And as this happens in Kenya, there is also a heated debate on GMOs. Also still to come on this part of the show, would you work as a mortuary assistant to care for the deceased? I was dating my boyfriend for a while. I loved him so much. However, when he discovered my profession, he couldn't accept it and he chose to end things between us. Oh, wow. Now let's get straight to that. Some of the best-paying jobs in Tanzania are in the medical sector, but it seems there's one very necessary profession that makes many people terribly uncomfortable. Terribly uncomfortable. Which one uh, is that? <laughs> An assistant in a mo- in a mortuary, dealing mm-hmm. with dead bodies every mm-hmm. day. Well, before we proceed, let me caution our listeners that we are about to play may cause you distress. So, mm-hmm. individuals who work with the bodies of deceased in mugs are officially known as uh, DNAs. They are responsible for cleaning and transporting uh, the bodies of people who are no longer alive. This profession is almost always viewed with apprehension. But one young Tanzanian woman is doing what needs to be done regardless. Naomi Williams, our correspondent, went to meet her and filed this report. In Tanzania's Mutuara region, there is a place that few people dare to enter willingly, Likombe Mochiri. But at the heart of this mysterious world, 21-year-old Precious Landa is challenging stereotypes and embracing the unexpected. She is a morgue assistant by profession. Precious was drawn to this profession by a profound childhood experience, witnessing her mother's body being prepared for burial at home. Her motivation runs deeper, fueled by curiosity and a desire to debunk the myths surrounding mortuaries. I had a hobby of researching whether mortuaries are real as scary as they portray them. There are often tales of inexplicable things happening in these rooms. The curiosity led me to question why did people are sent to the morgue instead of being cared for by their relatives. Every day, Precious dons her modest uniform and work boots, ready for her daily routine in the realm of the deceased. Mortuaries are said to be places that whisper echoes of countless fearful stories. Certainly, Precious was caught in the sphere during her first days on the job. On my first day of work, I felt scared. I was very anxious. I was tasked with preparing the body of a person who had been in a terrible accident and was severely damaged. At first glance, my initial reaction was to run away. Fortunately, that person was a woman, so as I worked on preparing her while trembling. I felt a strong sense of responsibility, as if I was preparing my own mother. Each task at the morgue is an intricate puzzle that requires precision and reverence. Precious job comes with a lot of challenges, from social stigma and prejudice to losing the love of her life. However, her desire to bring dignity, comfort and peace to both the living and the departed is what has kept her going. 
changamoto niliyowahi kukutana nayo Pursuing a career in mortuary field presented its own set of challenges I was dating my boyfriend for a while and he decided to introduce himself to my family for marriage I loved him so much however when he discovered my profession he started to fear me he couldn't accept it and he chose to end things between us it was painful to accept that the person I loved could not understand an essential part of my life it was very painful breakup some people believe that morgue assistants need to be under the influence of drugs to deal with the sound of sorrowful wails that fill the mortuaries but this is a myth precious told us many people who work in mortuaries do not consume alcohol i'm a great example The consumption of alcohol is a personal trait and behavior and has no bearing on one's ability to work in a mortuary. While her routine is not glamorous or revered by society, Precious has a special message for fellow young people. It is important to put an end to fictional stories that have no connection to the reality of the mortuary rooms. I highly recommend that everyone particular girls consider studying this field to prevent job discrimination and ensure that we do not become a burden on our nation and country. Precious takes home close to 160 euros monthly. This is a decent pay, enough to sustain her life, she says. The story by our correspondent Naomi Williams was narrated by DW's Okeri Nguchinado. Now we also have comments on that. We asked the question, how are mortuary workers treated in your country? And Kwesa Ibrahim, you're saying those are normal people. You are a human when you're alive, but when you're not alive, you're nothing. Just, uh, of course, uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Akadi Ivanok says in Uganda you can't even know that someone works in a mortuary, even your family members. You go to work like a normal person, come back home in the evening, eat and sleep. Uh, Dan Warren, you're saying they are feared. People think they have uh, mysterious powers. Aisha Nakaiza says I even don't know one mortuary worker. I don't know how they are treated by people who know them. Thank you so much for those comments. Keep them coming on our Facebook page DW Africa. Now in Kenya, opinions are sharply divided as a court recently dismissed a lawsuit challenging the government's decision to allow the importation and cultivation of genetically modified crops. Now Kenya like many other African nations banned GMO crops over health and uh, safety concerns a decade ago. However, this decision was lifted by President William Samoy Ruto's government. Now, Ruto's administration claims that this move is a response to the pressing food security issues following the worst drought to hit the Horn of Africa region uh, decades ago. Now, Andrew Wasike brings us the latest to this story. Are genetically modified crops safe for human consumption? This remains a heated debate in Kenya with opponents of GMOs arguing that the country's regulatory bodies cannot ensure the quality standards of such crops. Conversely, supporters of GMOs like Patel Shah believe such crops will bridge food insecurity gaps. I'm looking at that we should be able to feed our country and uh, we should be able to export if uh, we have surplus and uh, continuing more research and produ- producing better quality foods. 
Samuel Maina is also a pro-GMO Kenyan. He argues that the crops will alleviate hunger that has been exacerbated by decades of droughts. So we are very happy as Kenyans. So many were suffering, so many Kenyans were suffering. So we are now very happy. We are very happy because the the food has come back again. George Ojakoya, presidential candidate in the past election, claims there are significant health risks associated with GMOs. Kindly, Kenyans do not buy GMO or GMO products. We have a lot of stock of maize in the country. We can easily import maize from Uganda or Zambia. It's plenty. The decision by Kenya's Environment Court to dismiss the legal suit against the GMO has raised concerns among its farmers, especially those exporting to neighboring Tanzania and Uganda where GMOs are prohibited. Nutritionist Lucy Chege also claims that GMOs will have potential long-term health impacts on consumers. Previous studies have shown GMO to be a health hazard, especially being linked to cancer. Zara and continuous investigative studies should be done. As the government is looking for long-term interventions to curb hunger and starvation, it is also important to focus on long-term effects of GMO foods. Professor Richard Oduor, who leads the Department of Biochemistry, Microbiology and Biotechnology at Kenyatta University, holds a dissenting view. He urges Kenyans to embrace the consumption of genetically engineered crops, advocating for the role in the nation's food supply. They will tell you that GMOs cause infertility and impotence, very serious thing. The GMO causes cancer, GMO is foreign. It is a fallacy. For instance, if they are saying that GMO seeds don't germinate, and I can tell you in this country, at Kenyatta University, we are the only universities in Central Africa that make GMO here locally. <laughs> it's, it's all fallacy. <laughs> the professor terming it as a fallacy, but of course it is a very contentious subject, Josie, I must say. And Andrew Wasike, many thanks for highlighting that uh, debate here from Kenya. Africa Link. Sport. Indeed, we can't end the show without some sports, George, and I'm literally on a countdown ahead of Saturday's rugby finals between South Africa versus New Zealand. Now, the Springboks taking on all blacks is the final diehard rugby fans were hoping for. Rooks and moles aside, the South African side has tackled bigger demands since the sides met in the 1995 final. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're terming it as a demon. <laughs> Definitely. The last time South Africa faced New Zealand for World Cup glory was at the 1995 final at the Ellis Park, Johannesburg. So, will history repeat itself? Our very own Kai Nebe spoke to South African best sports journalist, I should say, Carmen Reddy, and starts by asking her what are the vibes at the moment? Look, I'll, I'll be honest. The entire country has been gripped by rugby fever since the uh, tournament started. We're big rugby fans, but particularly because we're defending champions, it Hopefully, it's going to be a fourth World Cup title. We're definitely all behind the box, and it's been something that's kind of been steamrolling. We are just, we're loving it, and we're fully behind the box. Is there a feeling that the that the spring box are like matching up to people's expectations, or is the sport like actually winning more fans as they're just seeing the success of these box? No, I think it's a, it's a, a mixture of both. Definitely, definitely, you're seeing more fans. You've seen rugby in South Africa grow 
tremendously. We've always had a strong rugby fraternity in terms of how it's managed and in terms of finances, and it's always been run well. Going into this World Cup final, it's it's hard to not draw parallels between, um, well, what happened in 1995 when South Africa again played the All Blacks in the, in the final where they won the first World Cup. Um, but South African rugby looked very different then. Um, it was mainly a sport that was played by white people. There were a lot of people who didn't even like the idea of the fact that their national team was called the Springboks because of the apartheid associations. Do you think that that is something that still plays on people's minds? Oh, not at all. I think if it does, it's something that's so small within the population. I think that the the image of sp- the Springboks in general and of South African rugby has changed so much from what you're describing because what you what you said is 100% true, right? But that image and the idea and how the sport has changed. In, in South Africa, you just have this feeling that, you know, there's so much that is not necessarily going right from load shedding to corruption to that. But is it a feeling that, you know, the Springboks are like, this is what we could be like if we pull together? Unfortunately, we have load shedding. The interest rates are going up. Times are tough. People, the unemployment rate is high. We're all aware of this. But this is something that just really brings us together, I think, emotionally and mentally. And people don't want to really talk about that, but it will. It'll bring us together in a way that I think we need and we deserve. South Africa really needs this. I think especially now, just before Christmas, it'll make us all feel so much better. It really will that's proud and bring us together. So I think I just have one last question that would be kind of a prediction from you. Oh. What do you think what's going to happen? <laughs> Ask me that and I'm so nervous. I think it's going to be, look, I don't think it's going to be a massive score. I think it's going to be tough, but I really, I have faith and I know we're going to win. Yeah. I'm also going to throw that same question to you, George. Where are you putting your euros, the spring box or? I'm not nervous, but I'm hopeful that South Africa will carry the day. Okay. Thank you so much, Kai Nebe, for that interview. You were speaking to a sports journalist in South Africa, Carmen Reddy. In case you also have your predictions, who's it going to be, South Africa or New Zealand? Tell us in the comment section on our Facebook page, DW Africa. But I'm glad you're not telling us who you're supporting. But anyway, I'm sure (laughs) our multimedia technician, Toshka Manfred and uh, Celestino Sike, and of course, Okerin Gushina, though, who helped prepare this show, are for South Africa. My name is George Okachi. And I'm Josie Mahachi. Until next time, take care. DW Made for Mind.